0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Coming up, we have the latest All-22 comprehensive breakdown from the Browns' 18-18 tie in Philadelphia on Thursday night. That includes player performances, schemes used, Everything you need to know about the game in terms of player performance and then what it looks like going forward, shaping the 53 man roster, all on the OBR film breakdown. What's up, guys? Welcome into the latest OBR Film Breakdown. Your host, Jake Burns. We are going to talk about uh, what we learned from the tape of this All-22 Eagles-Browns matchup. You kind of start with the basic data. In this one, offensively, the Browns ran a registered from True Media 90 plays. And some interesting wrinkles in that 90-play uh, example size here. The the 11 personnel stuff, which we've seen uptick all offseason, uh, included uh, it looks to me like 64 of those snaps for the browns of those 90 came in 11 personnel 12 personnel was a part of it that's again one wide receiver or sorry one running back two tight ends for 22 snaps so they have uptick that they did not run any 13 they continue to shy away from 13 so the next personnel grouping that they ran the most, which is something I have not seen them do in any portion of Kevin Stefanski's tenure, they ran four wide receivers, which is ten personnel, more popular college and high school personnel grouping. So that is the first time I've seen it. They ran it four times. They ran uh, a little bit in the first half, and uh, it was predominantly late in the in the first half that they ended up running this. But it, it's again surprising to me. They had a run, couple run plays. From that look and a couple throws, but uh, you're trying to, again, speak to what's going to change, what's going to look different. That's a part of it, right? They ran a lot of power. i just kind of talking scheme stuff here. They ran a lot of power, a lot of counter. Difference between power and counter, I think I've gone over in years past. Power, you're pulling the backside guard for the play side inside linebacker. Counter, you're pulling that backside guard to kick out the in-man on the line of scrimmage. You kind of shorten that to EMLOS when it's written down. They kick out the in-man line of scrimmage. Sometimes you'll pull somebody with a counter to pull up and through behind the kick out. They did a lot of that from the gun. I think they ran nine inside zone runs, which again, you know me, I'm looking for that. I'm trying to pay attention to whether or not they're going to be using that personnel um grouping, the the eleven personnel, you know, even ten personnel now, and are willing to, you know, do different things to create more gun run opportunities to find success. So uh, what they were able to do is diversify that gun run game, keep that consistently moving through the, uh, through the preseason. And that to me is a step in the right direction. Okay. So that's your kind of personnel grouping stuff. Offensively on the other side of the football, the Eagles ran a registered 65 plays. So in this one, um, the Browns only ran as far as base look with four linebackers on the field. They only ran, Uh, 10 snaps of that okay and they only the only time that they put that third linebacker on the field is anytime the Eagles trotted out a second tight end which is again pretty customary the Eagles are a high volume 11 personnel team but even when they had two tight ends on the field at times they would put that extra defensive back on the field as far as I can see it looks like there were um, nine snaps of 12 personnel the Browns still stuck with five defensive backs. And th- those include first down, second downs and third downs. They did not run any dime in this game. So we have not seen them put six DBs out there on the field yet. So we'll obviously pay close attention to the decisions around that and what that could look like, because we have not seen them introduce that uh, much at all yet. As far as blitz stuff, we saw an uptick in blitz stuff, which to me is an interesting element of where these teams are. Dorian Thompson Robinson of his, 29 dropbacks 12 came against the blitz which tells you that these teams are starting to pick up what they're going to be in terms of bringing additional bodies and then kellen mond saw 25 dropbacks 10 of which he was blitzed so that's a high volume of blitz that the quarterbacks were facing i think this uh this preseason thompson robinson has faced 14 uh, 14 pressure situations only taking one sack again you like to see that uh, they only blitzed Mariota six times. I highlighted one of them on my Twitter page. The blitz package stuff looks fun. Some overload, some dropouts. They're going to, you know, sort of fire zone some quarterbacks where they're taking an end and dropping him into what they expect to be maybe a flat or a shallow throw that quarterbacks like to throw against the blitz. So that was encouraging. You think that they're sharpening that up. So Mariota faced six blitzes, when dropped back, and then Tanner McKee, the quarterback who played, the rookie out of Stanford who played in the second half, he had, five of his 21 dropbacks were against the blitz. So the Browns didn't blitz as high volume as Philadelphia did, but they're trying to be very selective about when they do it and kind of refine some things that they're trying to do. So otherwise schematically uh, in this one play action for the Browns, I think it's always worth noting. They have obviously slowed down some of their, their screen game stuff. Uh, They only threw uh, two screens from Thompson Robinson and then Kellen Mond didn't throw any screens. You only saw two in this game. Play action uh, in this one, four dropbacks in play action, two of which came from the gun, a couple under center for Dorian Thompson-Robinson, and then seven play action throws for Kellen Mond. So that was a little bit of an uptick uh, for Kellen against Dorian Thompson-Robinson. But again, now let's talk player performance because that's the, the biggest thing we're getting out of this. I mean, we could talk scheme stuff, but to me, the preseason's so vanilla. The Browns don't get complicated. They do some pretty pretty basic things. Um, I didn't see any of the read flat wheel this week, which was not unexpected because it's the second group, not the first group. So that's not a big surprise to me at all that they wouldn't want to run that away from Deshaun Watson. So nothing really otherwise like huge schematic stuff that caught me, uh, into thinking this will be stuff that we see during the regular season, just because again, this is a backup riddled preseason game. So, just trying to define sort of some of those elements of basic stuff that we'll see transfer, but maybe not the um, the nuanced stuff is the way to say it there. Um, okay, so looking at performances of the offense, I kind of want to go around in and pinpoint some people. Um, highest graded offensive players: Austin Watkins. He had fourteen targets. Six catches, 143. I continue to think Watkins is a player that has a re- he has a real chance to make the roster. And and to me, like that's sh- that should be the case. He's performing really well in the preseason. He's got like 230 preseason receiving yards, two touchdowns. He's doing some really strong stuff. But you have to keep it in perspective. Like I don't see a very quick twitch player, so I think there's going to be some limitations on how much separation he can create away from preseason zone coverages. And there have been a couple balls that hit him in the hands that he should have caught. So it hasn't been perfect, but it's been impressive. Nonetheless, those sideline plays kind of messing with the tempo, the touchdown catch was phenomenal. He had another deep sideline catch from, um, from Thompson Robinson that I think he did a really great job of sort of slow playing it. I haven't seen him really go up and jump ball anybody, but you can clearly see he has a feel for some of the tempo based things that are important to the position, and he had a nice catch even after the drop. He had a nice catch on a slant where he made a linebacker miss in space. I think that there's a player here that belongs on NFL roster. I don't know if the Browns feel like his outside only angle here is enough to 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 make him warranted on this roster. I can see where they would want to keep you know Jachim Grant as a specialist uh, type that that could limit keeping Watkins, but. As we sit here, one preseason game still to go, he is a guy I think deserves a chance to be on the roster. And again, there's some things to work out. Marquise Goodwin, various other things. I know it's kind of he's going straight up against David Bell. I continue to think David Bell is going to be here another year. Has he done enough to excite you and wow you? Probably not. But again, he was in an offense last year that didn't target slot receivers period just didn't do it that the, the way that that was structured the play action a lot of the way they operate in this offense is sort of predicated around outside receivers finding production on longer developing routes so bell didn't get a, a, a an abundance of opportunity and I think that leaves people wanting more again which I understand he does have a touchdown this preseason I thought he's been fine went out there had a nice third down catch. He didn't play much in this one. So it all also indicates to me that he's not out there fighting to prove himself. Like they know who he is. I think David Bell's done a nice job when he's been given opportunities this preseason. So it's about with the wide receivers, the volume at which they're keeping, are they keeping six? Are they keeping seven? How many of those guys are going to be a specific, you know, role player who does special teams is a guy like, David Bell going to find snaps this year because there are clearly four wide receivers you're probably putting ahead of him in the pecking order it's just a lot it's a loaded equation and I'm not sure how they're going to do it I'm fascinated to figure it out I don't think there's a wrong thing and a guy like Austin Watkins pushing David Bell or pushing himself into the conversation is a good thing overall it's a really good thing so um, other guys who graded strongly in this one Tyrone Wheatley uh, an 83.2 grade overall playing pretty good football. It was interesting. They were taking Tyrone Wheatley and Derek Kelly, who they signed uh, not too long ago to add some tackle depth. They were switching those guys snap to, it was not snap by snap, but it was, it was possession by possession. So when DeWan Jones left and Derek Kelly came in, uh, Tyrone Wheatley and him were switching side by side. And I thought again, Tyrone Wheatley had another really strong performance. His run blocking I thought was better. He moves fairly well. The pass game stuff, not as good. But again, he's moving side to side. That creates a unique challenge for a player like that. So I thought Wheatley was fine. I thought it's two strong performances for him. The pass pro stuff, the anchor, and I'm going to talk more about that with James Hudson in just a moment. The anchor needs to be more consistent. There were times if he gets struck by a defensive end at the wrong time, it messes with his balance a little bit. The ability to anchor is so important, and guys playing tackle on an island or, you know, bigger players are usually concerned about hitting their drop spot and being able to defend the arc, right, of a quarterback, you know, the defensive end rushing upfield and turning the edge and getting to your quarterback. You're usually hyper-focused on that or the ability of a player to get upfield and then get back inside. It's those times that they kind of go right through your chest when you're not expecting it that catches you off guard. I think Wheatley could use some work on that, but like I said, they're bouncing him side to side, and that is a challenge. That presents a unique challenge. Other high-graded players, Wes Martin, who played really well against Jordan Davis. I had to point it out. I don't think Wes has been very good, and I certainly don't think he makes this roster, but he did perform well in his 61 snaps in this one. Cedric Tillman had a great sluggo route, also had a nice route that he could have had a back shoulder on uh, that, that Thompson Robinson missed a little bit high, but I thought... Tillman continues to flash a guy that's just going to play. He's going to play this season. Um, he's not going to be hidden on the sideline. like They're going to find a role for him. I don't think he plays a ton if uh, injuries don't have a hand in that equation, but he should be out there a pretty solid amount of routes uh, for this team this year. DeWan Jones, again, steady, strong. His snaps against Nolan Smith where... Smith is going to be special, and we thought that through the draft process. I, I still can't believe he was available for Philly where they got him. I think he's going to be so good, man. A um, couple times where Nolan Smith got up under his hands, was able to sort of turn the short corner because he was able to take DeJuan, like Dewan is obviously trying to set a shield upfield with a, with a large portion of his torso cutting him off. Well, he took the hands, lifted the hands, and what that does is just create less surface for a player to have to run through and the ability of Jones to dip the corner. Those snaps are worth your while. I think Nate Tice on Twitter put together every DeWan Jones, Nolan Smith pass rush rep. You can watch that. It was a really good film to watch. So, you know, nothing changes. Dewan Jones is going to be a really solid right tackle. The, the situation here is just how quickly does that take place? Does it take place a year from now? Does it take place this season because of injuries? We know currently Jack Conklin is in concussion protocol. So, that's an element uh, that you're always kind of paying attention to. But I think Dewan is proving so far, and his stock is rising, that he's playing well. Luke Whipler played 71 snaps, both at guard and center. He played alongside Nick Harris. He graded out 71.9. I thought he was good. I thought he was good in both phases and continues to prove that he is a six-round steal. I think they they're proving that they want Nick on the roster and Luke on the roster and hoping that Luke can play some guard in a pinch if they need it. It'll be him and Michael Dunn. Michael Dunn played 47 snaps, played well. So it'll be those two with Nick Harris being your center, your first in line to play some center. Maybe Colby Gossett gets on the practice squad. Tyron Wheatley gets on the practice squad. That's a possibility. Everybody on the offensive line graded out pretty well, except for James Hudson, who I thought played pretty poorly in this one. And I continue to just sort of be uneasy about him. As a, you know, left tackle replacement player that makes me, I just, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm nervous about it. In this one, he gave up two pressures in 21 pass blocking reps and he doesn't anchor well. He's fast enough, but not always clean with his technique to handle speed guys. But to me, he still doesn't do a good enough job of being able to handle speed and then guys turning speed to power or just playing with power. He is able to stay in front of people, but he does not anchor well enough to keep his quarterback from feeling like the pocket is being condensed. So I don't know. Is Hudson good enough to maybe move inside where he doesn't have to worry about speed and he can just get better at anchoring? I don't know. I just know that if he's your left tackle, I'm a little nervous about that. And um, that's why I'm trying to watch Tyrone Wheatley. He gave up three pressures as well. But again, I think Tyrone's challenge was a little different bouncing side to side uh, and and I'm, I'm kind of just think that that Wheatley has a better base about him and he he moves pretty well athletically even with uh, you know some of the size stuff he's a really really massive human so otherwise pressure's given up Colby Gossett gave up three we mentioned Wheatley Michael Dunn allowed two Derek Kelly allowed two Whipler one Martin won, and then Dewan Jones gave up that pressure to Nolan as well. So, you know, I thought the offensive line was pretty good overall. They didn't run it very well, but I thought they didn't run it very well because I didn't think the running backs helped them very much. John Kelly graded out as one of the worst players on the field, 39.8. I am still out on giving John Kelly a roster spot. Don't think that's going to come to fruition for him. Uh, even though the chance is sort of there more than ever. And Hassan Hall is just, you, know, you forget Kelly also fumbled down near the goal line on that, that stellar opening drive. And Hassan Hall just doesn't see the field well enough for me to um, you know be able to be an NFL running back. His his vision is just not where it needs to be. Now, Demetrik Felton played a lot of snaps. He played 32, and he played fine. He makes people miss. He's pretty twitchy. Uh, in between the tackles to make a guy miss or spin off of a play. But I just don't know how Felton's going to fit in to the whole picture. You know, I posted a pass-rushing – sorry, pass-protecting video to our group at the OBR where he just completely is uninterested in pass-blocking. And I know that's a huge part of like a third-down back's responsibility on top of getting out on routes, which Felton can do fine, but he does not – have a willingness to do the pass protection side. And those linebackers are blitzing. You have to be a part of the solution in pass blocking. So I don't know, man, I don't love Felton as a third back. I'd feel more comfortable with him as a special teams, fourth back, but they might be forced to have him as the third guy. You can do worse, but you could certainly do better. So I know that there's going to be some attention paid to roster trim downs on the 29th and how that all shakes out. If they're able to add a running back or, Maybe Jordan will or Jordan Wilkins is going to be that guy. I'm not sure he graded well, but he only played eight snaps. He had an 87.6 grade. I'd like to see a lot more of him in Kansas city. He at least has a track record of doing this at the NFL level. So we'll pay attention to Jordan Wilkins who I thought ran well in his few snaps, But we need to see more of the whole picture with him. That's for certain. So DTR again played 47 snaps, played the first half. He actually didn't grade out as well as he has in these other uh, endeavors. He had a 64.3. His pass grade was a 63.2. That feels pretty fair to me. The last two games, an 88.6 and an 81.7. So it's a downtick. They did not give him any uh, uh, turnover-worthy plays, which... To me, I thought you could count a couple – not a couple. There was one ball that got batted in the air. I thought he made a bad decision on throwing, and it almost was intercepted by a lineman working his way downfield, but it ended up hitting the ground. I thought that was a turnover-worthy throw. They didn't deem it that way. He did have two big-time throws. I posted one of them where he steps up against some left-side pressure and against a a hook defender, does a great job of throwing. Austin Watkins open to sort of the outside – right side of that hook defender. He was a great throw and a great process to get there. He was really solid under pressure, four of seven on nine dropbacks for 73 yards. And and his best work came when he wasn't blitzed, which is not surprising for young quarterbacks, nine of 14 for 114 total yards. So uh, again, I don't think he was bad in this game. He just had moments of inaccuracy. There were a couple throws where he he came to, to look downfield and he just missed by a wide margin. I counted four, throws that I thought he could have thrown an accurate football and given his guy a chance. And he just completely missed on those. There were a couple of um, the first time I've seen him get a little antsy in the pocket and his footwork got a little chaotic and missed. uh, I missed the guy he was trying to throw to. So again, it's exposure to more reps and more situations and better players for, for him playing in the first half for the first time. I, but I feel to me that he has done enough to feel good enough about him to maybe be your backup on the fifty-three. Now, I would not be surprised if they keep Josh Dobbs and they run the three quarterback situation here. But again, just me, it feels like he's done enough to make you confident that he could handle a, a couple weeks spots starting as far as uh, as a game plan built around his skill set, and he does enough of those little things right, right now that you can see a future for him getting a chance to start somewhere. The, the, the way he gets the football out, the, the rip, the, the movement on the football, the velocity, I think it's, it's there. Some of those little innate things DTR can certainly handle. And I, and I think that there's a future guy getting a chance. I'm not saying he's going to be a future consistent starter, but what I'm saying is that there's, a player in there who should get a chance to start someday somewhere that could be Cleveland or it could be a trade it could be somewhere else. there's something there and and i'm I'm interested to see where it goes for him uh and and again, it's just more exposure to n f l snaps that will give us the full picture of him, but will make him a better player. You can already start to see him understanding and processing a lot of things and he does a nice job again, just sort of innately handling some of the difficult parts of the position for younger players so exciting player. I thought Kellen Mond was better uh, in this one, but but again, I think Kellen Mond is squarely looking at the practice squad this year. I don't know if it ends up working out that he gets there, but Mond is is built for that. The, the just too many inconsistent throws when he shouldn't be inconsistent and he just doesn't have the vibe for me of a guy who's consistently processing what's happening and is able to read and react off what a defense is providing. He misses too many reads and his pocket comfort isn't quite as good as I would like it to be for a guy now experienced in the league a little bit. And then also the running is not as dynamic as you would hope with a player like Mon would be. So that's the offense though. I think we've covered everybody there up, down and in between, you know, the guys who didn't grade well, I don't think really are going to matter to this entire picture. None of the three tight ends that are going to play this year graded poorly. The the uh, Thomas Greeny and Miller all graded poorly. And then Jalen Wayne, Mike Harley, Zaire Mitchell Payton. Those guys won't matter to the 53-man roster. So we're not going to spend any time on those. We're going to take a break, though. And then when we come back from break, we word from our sponsors, we will hit on the defense's uh, personnel performance. So we will be right back. You ever been up against buying tickets last minute, can't figure out how to get it done the OBR group recently tried to go to the Browns preseason. We were up against the clock trying to figure out if we could get tickets hooked up, if we needed to buy them, we had to end up buying them. Went to the game time app, and let me tell you, this is the best place to find tickets. It should never be stressful. They pride themselves on making it as seamless as possible. Killer deals on last minute tickets, the best price guarantee. You can stop stressing over tickets. Start getting hyped for the fun you're gonna have. If you're starting to poke around about getting tickets for Browns Bengals week one this is the place you need to go game time has everything you need you don't have to plan months in advance but if you do they have deals on tickets now all the way up until the day you get images from the seats you'll be sitting in to know what you're looking at what the view will be get that low price guarantee and talking again those exclusive flash deals on tickets are what makes the app so great and the game time guarantee means you'll get the best price if you find tickets in the same section and row for less They'll credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. You get those images from your seats. You get tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps and you're set. They're sent directly to your phone. You never have to dig through your email. So here's what you need to do. Download the GameTime app. Create an account. Use the promo code, quite simply, OBR for 20% off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account. Redeem code OBR for $20 off. If you want to use the URL, it's GameTime.co, okay? But the app is where it's at. It's a perfect app. Download the GameTime app today. Promo code OBR, $20 off, last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: All right, defense starts and ends with a couple guys at the top that you know I'm high on. Mahmoud Diabate, who I'm looking really forward to people screwing up that pronunciation for a while. He was phenomenal, again, to me. His run defense grade of a 48.8, I cannot figure out why his run defense mark was a 48. It doesn't make sense to me. Sometimes I hate grades. I, I, I use them as a way to sort of put something you know, a tangible number that you can understand. It just helps simplify some understanding of player performance, but I think it can just be totally off sometimes. And this one, I I agree that it's off. He was, I thought he was really good in the, in the quick trigger aspect of the position. And what I like about him is his read and react processing time is stellar for a young guy learning the position, trying to figure it out. And then you you add in this great athletic profile, a feel for pass coverage that is surprising. Even me, and you got a guy that I think should be on the roster. He's not perfect. He certainly is going to have to throttle down, be a little bit better at times, fitting players up. He missed one tackle in space after a a ball was caught tight and kind of worked his way underneath his arm. But he plays fast. You can tell he's comfortable blitzing. There's a great example of him getting skinny at the line of scrimmage and getting home on the quarterback. Like He's very comfortable going forward, and he's more comfortable than I thought he would be in the backward elements. You know, he gets the safety early in the game. He comes up with the huge punch on that screen pass to Trey sermon later in the game. Those are game changing plays that he's making And the, and the safety wasn't because the defensive line absorbed a bunch of uh, offensive line attention. He beat the guy pulling off the double team to him at the line of scrimmage by quickly triggering and getting downhill and getting an instinct based play. That was him. That was nobody else. So I thought Diabate again, after I thought last week when I tweeted it out, that he is definitely a player, I do not think he's making your practice squad because somebody's scooping him up. Should have been drafted. They have a player here. I'm developing him on the 53-man roster. Maurice Hurst only played 11 snaps, but he had a sack, and I thought he was effective in those uh, 11 snaps, and I think he's going to make the roster. I do. I think he's going to be an end-of-the-roster defensive tackle who's going to rotate and get some chances and pass uh, pass downs I got he's got a decent chance there Shelby Harris played 12 snaps that's fine they're playing him into shape a little bit here getting him comfortable he'll play in the Kansas City game we'll see if they trot out any of the other starters Tomlinson uh, in that one but but it's good to get Harris some live game snaps and I thought he looked just as explosive as he he was on tape last year and he'll be a fun piece for this defense Sam Kamara again good inside out flexibility I think he's a practice squad guy for me I like him he can play edge. He can play defensive tackle. He moves pretty well for a big guy. He graded out pretty good. Cameron Mitchell played 32 snaps. Not clean, not perfect. Some man coverage stuff, where they tied some blitz to it, so he was saved. But he's going to be a nice depth corner. I think that that's for sure. I think they're 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 really going to like that flexibility that he can provide uh, for them in that defensive back room inside out. Other high grades: Tanner McAllister and 52 snaps at a high grade. I think he had a nice game. I don't think it changes much of the perspective of McAllister as far as a limited athlete and a guy you you know who was just sort of filling a, play, a preseason void. Don't see them keeping him around. Lorenzo Burns played well in this one according to the grade metrics. That's kind of it. Everyone else sort of played in an average level. I thought Isaiah McGuire had some real moments. He had a nice up-under bull rush against Tyler Steen, the third-round pick out of Alabama early in the game. He looked comfortable. Tristan Hill played a little bit in this one. Him and Tommy Togi, I uh, each had a had a pressure in this game. I don't see enough from Tristan Hill to warrant being excited about him, but uh, you know he he was out there, which says something. For the first time, we were able to see him out there playing. He's got an uphill battle to make the roster at the bottom of the grade chart. Jordan Elliott once again. Lonnie Phelps, Ronnie Hickman, despite having an interception, his 14 snaps. You know, going back and watching the film, he missed a couple tackles. He was in the wrong place another time. So it, it, the interception helps the front-facing public stuff there. But as far as being where he's supposed to be and actually helping his case, I don't, I don't think he did very much in this one. Uh, Cam Bright, the the um, rotation late rotation linebacker, didn't help himself. And Chris Westry, who they brought over late, graded poorly as well. DeAnthony Bell had a 54.3 mark. Again, like I don't know if he's gonna make the roster. We'd have to see. Like, does the practice stuff help him? There are some times in coverage. I'm not sure De'Anthony Bell's in the right spot. We'll say that. Uh, so I'm not sure if it's De'Anthony Bell. It could be his by default. I'm, I'm I'm really not sure. Hickman left with that concussion, didn't leave uh, himself more of an opportunity to uh, to prove himself. So we'll see. Maybe week three. Provides a big opportunity for him again. He was going to get that in this game, but obviously the injury left him uh, unable to finish. Siaki Ika finishes with a 52.8, no pressures. The run defense was better or about the same as pass rush. Kind of an, it's just an average game. You're out there. You kind of did what you were supposed to do. You were in the right places, but you didn't make any wow plays or any amazing effort uh, type of situation. So he is who we thought he was against the pass, He's not playing quickly, decisively not using very many productive moves, sort of bull rush leaning too much. He needs to, he needs to add more to that game. I I continually look back at that 2021 version of him and I'm a little bit confused why you can't get more of that out of him. He just doesn't seem to play that hard all the time and uh, just sort of allows himself to get blocked. This is, but this is again, who Siaki Ika was as far as our study of him, a player who needs to just be good in runs and situations. In my opinion, he needs to be able to eat up double teams and eat a gap and be an immovable force in early down run scenarios, at least a decent rotational player. And I think he can be that, but if you're expecting him to make, you know, many wow plays as a pass rusher, again, I think you're going to leave disappointed in that front. So, um, Listen, it was not a strong defensive performance overall, even though they only gave up 18 points. Not very many stellar grades. The guys who really helped themselves in this one, Maurice Hurst for sure. Mahmoud Diabate, without a doubt. I thought Cameron Mitchell put on a strong performance to help himself. And I thought Isaiah McGuire continues to solidify that he's going to be that fourth edge when they use four guys. And Shelby Harris getting out there helps as well. I don't think Ronnie Hickman helped himself very much. Jordan Elliott, I just don't see it. He only played eleven snaps. I, I guess he's going to make the roster, but uh, you know, I, I I don't know. I really I really don't know how you justify it, unless again, I'm willing to obviously say that you know a guy can be better in practice and be impressing coaches there in preseason. You get these very small sample sizes from guys near the top of these scenarios. So um, Elliot gets uh, only 11 snaps and that probably tells enough of the picture, but he didn't really play very well. Again, Chris Westry, Cam Bright, these guys down here. And I, again, I don't think Hickman helped himself either. And Lonnie Phelps plays hard, but I don't think there's enough NFL skill there for him to make the roster special teams wise. You know, we're all worried about Cade. I don't have a great answer. I think the holding has been fine. To me, when I watch it, it's been fine. Does he need to lean it one way or the other? I don't know. Maybe they need to work through that, but I don't know. I think it's been fine. Guys who had tackles in special teams in this one, Caleb Biggers and Lonnie Phelps had two. Diabate had a tackle on kickoff team. Nate Meters had the highest grade in specials at 90.3. He also had a tackle. Um, that's about it for the special teams tackling group in Bjorkwes he continues to punt the ball really far sometimes to the detriment of the coverage team but he definitely gets after the football we'll see if he can place it again a little bit better this year than he did last year but he's a fine punter he'll be he'll be good for reversing the field for the most part because he can really drive that thing a good a good amount away so i'm not worried about biorquez obviously as much as i am the other kicker who is uh, at the Point of contention for a lot of Browns fans. Anyway, that's it for today. Uh, And these preseason games, really hard to take away data and uh, talking points when it's just really player performance from a very simplistic schematic standpoint. But that's the notes I had from watching both sides of the football really closely. Uh, I hope you guys are enjoying this. It'll be like way more schematic driven conversation during the regular season where we talk through some specific plays and we you know, talk about what the bigger picture looks like on both sides of the football and how they game plan and what type of game plan I think they used to try to defeat the opponent. So it'll obviously get more specific. Preseason is very player performance driven to see who's going to make the roster. I'm going to be at camp on Sunday. So I will have some insights from being live in person, sitting in the stands, trying to get as much as I can. So check in for that on Monday. Should be back tomorrow with Brad Ward. So check that out. And you should continue your every single day podcast throughout the rest of the year. We're going to be in perpetuity because football season is right here in front of us. We're a week away from college football. We got one more preseason game. Then we get that bye week and then we are in game week with the Bengals. Should be a fun time. So it's here. It's live. It's in front of us. Thanks for stopping by. I appreciate you all. Thanks for being patient with me last week when there was that big break. I know I've never had that big a break before and heard from a lot of you. And I, again, appreciate you guys reaching out making sure everything's Okay. But I promise your daily Browns coverage is going to be delivered to you in perpetuity, like I said, through the rest of the year. So thanks for your patience. Thanks for stopping by. Rate and review the pod. I would really appreciate that if you haven't done it, either Spotify or Apple. And then also check out the OBR, the best, I think the best Browns community you can find on the internet to understand your Cleveland Browns at a way deeper level, such as the Joel Batonio contract restructure, which we should talk about. I didn't even talk about that. We should talk about it. Covered well by Jack Duffin. I want to make sure I talk to you guys about it real quick, and then we'll get out of here is there's a lot to it, right? So it's a, it comes as a bit of a surprise. It makes you raise your eyebrow a little bit. So his contract originally had base salaries in 23, 24, and 25, with one void year of 11, 13, and 12. So the difference being, and again, this is a great write-up from Jack Duffin this morning who covered this really well. Both contracts are worth $54.3 million. The players paid exactly the same amount of money each season. What the team is changing here for... Uh, Betonios—they're converting things to signing bonuses rather than base salary. This way, they can spread the salary cap charges out like a credit card or interest-free loan. They also have added the choice to do this in future years using an option bonus too, which is similar to a restructure. So he went from having one void year in 26 to having four void years: 26, 7, 8, and 9. So this season, Joel Betonio is due to count for 14.6 on the salary cap, but this restructuring now is a 6.732. Number So it creates a 7.8 million salary cap number for this year. So it turns uh, in turn increases their salary cap charges in the next four seasons by 1.9. So there's that, but then they can get that rollover advantage. Um, You know, it's a $0 difference, but the advantage is the team has a salary cap and will the salary cap will keep rising. So it won't really matter the, the number going up just a little bit in future years. So they just spread it out. They did what they they typically do, which is spread these things out, create an advantage now, and that advantage could be somebody between now and the start of the season or before the trade deadline if things are going well. You never know. That's what this smells like to me. They're keeping their options open should they want to sign uh, anybody that's interested in them and and likewise, or a trade for a big name. I'm not even going to go down that route, but that's something you want to have as an available option for you. They could still do Miles. They could still do some others, um, like Amari Cooper or, or um, Wyatt Teller. But this feels like the one that made the most sense outside of the Watson move they made earlier in the year. And you're asking the logical question, is why not do everybody up like this? Well, because you don't have to, right? You know, um, they could do all of these they want. but But again, at the end of the day, you do have to pay some large sums, and you're trying to balance your large sums against guys you can move around and extend the, the draw out, the credit card, and you have to kind of balance that, navigate that carefully. But the question, you again, you guys are probably asking is, was this a move for somebody now or later? And it could be. could be a kicker. could be another defensive tackle. You know, and Dominican Sue's talking about playing this year toward week one or a little after. He signed with the Eagles during the season last year. A lot of connections in Cleveland. Jim Schwartz, is college coach, Bill Callahan in Cleveland, right? So they're, they're keeping their options open. It could mean something this year, or it could just be money they want to roll into the next year as the salary cap keeps getting higher and some of the bigger contracts that they have on the books kick in. So uh, very well-written article from Jack Duffin explaining this. Go out and read that. You can find it on the OBR, Breaking Down Joel Batonio's Cleveland Browns Contract Restructure. That's available. But that's the end of the pod. Now we're really getting out of here. Rate and review it. Join the OBR. Thanks for stopping by. You know I appreciate you guys a ton. We will be back tomorrow. Until then, go Browns.